Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, and welcome back to the Ask Science podcast. I'm your guest host, Henry G., This is episode three of my short series, adapted from my new book, A Very Short History of Life on Earth. Today we'll be talking about everyone's favourite early land animals, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs had always been built to fly. It started with their commitment to bipedalism. Their forelimbs, no longer required for running, were reduced the hands left free for other activities, such as grasping prey, climbing, or flying. In sauropods, dinosaurs reverted to being quadrupeds and became the largest land animals ever to have lived, some measuring more than 50 metres long and weighing more than 70 tonnes. But dinosaurs also excelled at being small. The peculiar bat-like yi was no bigger than a starling. How did dinosaurs get to be so very large and so very small? It began with the way they breathed. Dinosaurs and their immediate relatives evolved a one-way system for air handling, which made breathing very efficient. Air entered the lungs, but did not immediately come out again. Instead, the air was shunted, guided by one-way valves, through an extensive system of air sacs throughout the body. Air spaces surrounded the internal organs and even penetrated the bones. Dinosaurs were literally full of air. This system of air handling was as elegant as it was necessary. With powerful nervous systems and active lives that demanded the acquisition and expenditure of large amounts of energy, dinosaurs ran hot. Such energetic activity required the most efficient transport of air to oxygen-hungry tissues possible. This turnover of energy created a great deal of excess heat. Air sacs are good ways to shed it. This was the secret of the enormous size some dinosaurs achieved. They were air-cooled. If a body grows but retains its shape, its volume will grow much faster than its surface area. This means that as a body gets larger, there is much more of it on the inside relative to the outside. This can become a problem for acquiring the food, water and oxygen that a body requires, 
as well as voiding waste products, the heat generated by digesting food and simply living. This is because the area available for getting things in and out shrinks relative to the volume of tissues that must be so served. For anything much bigger than a punctuation mark, shedding heat becomes an issue. This is resolved, first, by evolving specialised systems of transport, such as blood vessels, lungs and so on, and, second, by changing shape, creating extended or convoluted systems that act as radiators, from the ears of elephants to the inner complexities of the lungs, which serve the important function of dissipating excess heat, in addition to gas exchange. The surface area of a gigantic sauropod was minute compared with its volume. It was, however, the heritage of the dinosaurs that saved them and allowed them to grow so big. The system of air sacs that ramified throughout the body, which took heat from the internal organs directly without first having to transport it around the body. A sizable beneficiary was the liver, which generated a lot of heat, and which, in a large dinosaur, was the size of a car. The air-cooled internal workings of dinosaurs allowed them to become giants without boiling themselves alive. A sauropod was less a cumbrous behemoth than a light-footed, quadrupedal, flightless bird? For it is the birds, the inheritors of dinosaurs, that have the same fast-running metabolism and the same system of air cooling. Flight is also associated with feathers. A coat of plumage was a feature of dinosaurs from very early on in their history. The problem faced by small active dinosaurs was the opposite of that which challenged the very large ones, keeping all that expensive heat from dissipating into the environment. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Dinosaurs and their immediate relatives spent millions of years accumulating everything they needed for flight. Eventually, dinosaurs were cleared for takeoff. 
How did they take that final step and get airborne? There is nothing magic about an airfoil, such as a wing. It is shaped in such a way that it disrupts the air through which it moves, making some parcels of air move extremely fast, while others rest in eddies and swirls. The net result of all these changes in speed is an upward force on the wing called lift. The first way to get airborne is from ground level. The would-be aeronaut runs into the wind, flapping its wings as hard as it can. Flapping alters the velocity distribution of air moving around the wing to increase lift. The other is to find a perch high up and jump off, letting acceleration due to gravity do the work. The first stage of flight is a controlled kind of falling called parachuting. Those parachutists that travel horizontally further than they fall vertically are known as gliders, but it is a controlled kind of falling nonetheless. It's no coincidence that gliding animals generally live in trees, nor that the habit has evolved many times independently. After all, to any creature fond of climbing trees, natural selection exerts a relentless toll on any animal that falls out. Any animal with any adaptation that minimises its impact allowing it to die another day, will have natural selection in its favour. Dinosaurs used a combination of roots into the air, running and flapping, as well as gliding and falling. In any case, they became airborne by accident. Their feathery wings were in place long before flying was even an option. The first flights were no more than short hops. The wings of the first dinosaurs to take to the air worked just well enough, and no more, to get them into low branches to roost at night. The chicks, being even smaller, might have got further, using their stubby wings to help them run up steep slopes or tree trunks, and once up in the branches... What then? A dinosaur with even the most rudimentary wings, especially if small, could have jumped off, using its wings to slow the descent, with the occasional flap, to give lift. Archaeopteryx, the iconic first bird, had fully feathered wings, but lacked the deep keel on the breastbone, that modern birds have to anchor the flight muscles. It wasn't a very powerful flyer, but would have been capable of flying short distances between branches or up to low branches above the ground. Archaeopteryx lived at the end of the Jurassic period and was just one of a varied flock of dinosaurs experimenting with flight. Some of the earliest flying dinosaurs were biplanes, with flight feathers on their legs as well as their wings. 
The most famous was Microraptor, a member of a group of dinosaurs called Dromaeosaurs. These were close cousins of Archaeopteryx, along with another group of small bipeds, the Troodontids. Just like birds and Dromaeosaurs, Troodontids were experimenting with feathers and flight. One, Anchiornis, had feathers on its arms and legs, Microraptor style, and lived in the Jurassic period before the appearance of Archaeopteryx. One of the strangest experiments in flight was made by another small group of dinosaurs closely related to dromaeosaurs, troodontids and birds. These sparrow to starling-sized creatures almost certainly lived in trees. Although they were feathered, one of them, Epidexipteryx, had long ribbon-like tail plumes, their wings were webs of naked skin, like bats. These creatures, the Scansoriopterygids, were a short-lived dinosaurian experiment in bat-like flight that had sparked into life, sputtered, and died before even the first bird hatched or the first bat weaned. Another feature in the evolution of flight is how often animals contrive to lose it. Birds seem to waste no opportunity in giving up flight as soon as they are able. Not all birds are very good at flight in the first place. The world has yet to see chickens migrate. At least two entire orders of birds gave up flight long ago. One group is the ratites, such as ostriches, emus, cassowaries, and kiwis. The other is the penguins, which turned their wings into flippers for flying underwater. Both groups are extremely ancient. Flight is an expensive habit. Even though all the prerequisites for flight existed in the dinosaur ground plan almost from the beginning, flying was and is immensely demanding, so it is not surprising that many flyers gave it up when the opportunity arose. The smaller and more flight-capable members of the dromaeosaurs and troodontids tended to be earlier examples of their families, their descendants were larger and more grounded. The later dromaeosaurs and troodontids were the dragons that fell to earth. Birds became flightless even before they became birds. That's all for this episode of Ask Science. If you're liking this series so far, consider pre-ordering my new book, a very short history of life on earth you can click the link in the episode description or find the book wherever books or audiobooks are sold thanks for listening i'll see you next week Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.